You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So here's how tonight's gospel reading begins. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. While they were talking about this, which should beg the question, who is talking here and about what? That pushes us back to the matter of the immediate context of this evening's reading which is actually really important if we want to lay hold of the fullness of this gospel text. The who is the 11 remaining disciples. They're engaged in a conversation with a man named Cleopas and his companion, perhaps his wife. Cleopas and his companion had left Jerusalem early that morning having already heard that some of the women had gone to Jesus' tomb and had found it empty. There had even been talk of angelic messengers who apparently told the women that Jesus was alive. But these two, Cleopas and his companion, had no idea what to make of it all. And so they had decided to still head out in the direction of Emmaus probably on their first leg of a journey home after having gone to Jerusalem because that's where Jesus was. Not disciples, but followers. They had been caught up in the hope that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. As they themselves say in the context of the story, we'd hoped he was the one who was to redeem Israel. And maybe that hope had been so dashed by his death at the hands of the Roman Empire that they had just headed toward home, regardless of what the women might have said about some empty tomb. Sometimes heartbreak is like that. Well, as you probably know, they walk along the road and they are joined by a stranger, And they begin to talk with this stranger. Luke, consummate storyteller that he is, alerts the reader to the fact that this stranger is in fact Jesus. But he leaves Cleopas and his companion in the dark on that count. They don't recognize him. As they walk, they tell the stranger about their dashed hopes and the strange story of angels that the women had shared. To which this stranger replied, How foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared! Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then the stranger launches into a wholesale interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures, showing how a suffering Messiah should really surprise no one. Well, as the day draws near to its end, the 
two travelers decide they need to stop at Emmaus, and they urge the stranger to stay on there with them. And he does. Luke's telling this is what happens next. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to them. Exactly the same language of the Last Supper, exactly the same language, actually, as the feeding of the multitudes. Took, blessed, broke, gave. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Boom! That's the big reveal. Of course! Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? while he was opening the scriptures to us. And so back to Jerusalem they rush, straight to the disciples to tell them how, quote, he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's what they were talking about when the risen Christ suddenly stood among them with that greeting, peace be with you. Yet they're terrified. Afraid they are not seeing the risen Jesus, but rather a ghost. No, no, Jesus says, it isn't a ghost, it's me. See the scars in my hands and my feet, it's me. And so Luke continues, while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, Jesus said to them, have you got anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Well, his taking the fish and eating it seals it for them, and they now can see him in his fullness, just as the breaking of bread had done for Cleopas and his companion. So is there something significant? about it being fish that Jesus eats. I mean, these are fishermen after all. Fish is a common food. While there's no way to know for sure, I actually believe it's quite significant that it's fish. First bread, and now fish, which could well hearken back to the stories of the feedings of the multitudes with what? Fish and bread. For this reason, many scholars believe that fish played a much larger symbolic role in the early church. Long before the cross was adopted as the primary symbol of Christianity, the fish filled that role. Part of this was on account of the letters of the Greek word for fish. The word is ichthos, spelled in Greek, iota, chi, theta, upsilon, sigma. And that forms an acrostic because each of those letters is the first letter in a saying, Jesus Christus Theochios Soter, Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. So fish is an acrostic for Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. But beyond that, fish is an important symbol. It's a Jesus symbol because of stories like this one and the feeding of the multitudes, and the resurrection story in John where Jesus grills fish for the disciples on the beach, and his early call to fishermen to leave their boats behind and follow him in the fishing for people. 
when they can't quite get their heads around the fact that he is risen, that death cannot hold him, his eating a piece of broiled fish settles and persuades them. Then and only then can he do for them what he has just done for Cleopas and his companion on the road, namely to open their minds to understand the scriptures, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. It's about what they can touch, taste, smell, and see. It is at once familiar, the taking of food, and the utterly new, because it is also more than just food for the sake of food. This bread and fish are now in the realm of the symbolic, of the sacramental, which speaks to them of something much deeper. Based firmly in the teaching of St. Augustine, the classic definition in Anglicanism of a sacrament is set out in the old catechism as an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And in a very real sense, that's precisely what broken bread and broiled fish do for these people in these stories. These foods move them inwardly and spiritually allowing them not only to hear the words of Scripture, but to integrate those words into their very selves. Word and sacrament, word and symbol. In his book, Art and Faith, a book I also referenced on Easter Sunday, which I would commend to you highly. In his book, Art and Faith, Makoto Fujimura observes that, quote, some things, of course, are best conveyed in a three-point sermon. But we would lose a great deal if we heard the good news delivered only as a linear propositional information. For the gospel is a song. The gospel is a song, Mako insists, which is why these bits of shared food are so very significant in these stories why symbols move us, why we always have music in our liturgies, why the breaking of Eucharistic bread is so central to who and what we are. It's also why the extension of hospitality through shared meals is so crucial to the building of relationships, to the building of community. Oh, I know we can do such things provisionally and partially right now in these unsettled and unsettling times. We are all limited in how and where and when we might actually share meals together, be that fish and bread or burgers and pizza. Maybe we get creative and we share meals on Zoom or we drop off a meal to someone at home. Or now that the weather begins to turn, we sit socially distanced in a backyard with paper plates balanced on our knees. And then we break bread in this way in the church. We sing in this way through a camera, and you sing at home, we trust. 
We proclaim the word and we offer prayer in this way. It's not a bad thing. And along the way, there has not been without some lovely surprises, with new friends finding us online and joining us, and old friends coming back, rekindling connections. But still, we long for when the outward and visible signs, bread and wine, or full voices, when they can be fully celebrated together here in this space, raising the roof with the fullness of our voices together. We long for that. What if the entire Bible is a work of art? Maku Fujimari asks. What if the entire Bible is a work of art rather than the dictates of predetermined checkboxes for us to get on God's good side? What if we are to sing back in response to the voice of eternity echoing through our broken lives? Well, right now to sing back in response to the voice of eternity echoing through our broken lives is to hear stories such as the ones told tonight and to respond with bread in this way, with singing in this way, with prayer in this way, hands and hearts open wide to what Christ is yet doing in us through story and sacrament, through art and symbol and music, and through his deep and abiding promise that he brings us his peace right in the midst of hard days and broken hearts. That's Easter. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.